not knowing how to do the microphone is getting a little dry. It's getting it's getting a little too real because it happens. It's like, oh, yeah, we don't know we because we think we do. But every time. Right. It's like not a bit. It's not a bit. It's it, just it's becoming. Yeah, it's too much of an open wound every every fucking time. OK. Yeah. We're fascism. I'm Jackie. I'm Hope. And this is about we like fashion and we talk about it. We use topics in art and fashion as like a jumping off point to dissect culture and we have a good time. Yeah. And if you don't like that, if you think fashion's stupid, you're stupid. Whoa. That's a new part of the intro. I didn't know what else to say about it. It's like, it's uh. Oh god, my brain. This is does not bode well for the rest yeah, of the Yeah, I was just say, is this the beginning of showing the rest <laughs> no. of the episode? <laughs> I think, yeah, there we go. There's the intro. And we're a little messy. We're a little figuring this out. We have full-time jobs that we I guess care about. I mean, I definitely care about making enough money to pay rent. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. So, you know, so sometimes we're just like barely making it. And and just dramatic, I guess. Uh-oh, Hope just did the... What? Your forehead. You, it's, a, it's a telltale sign of Hope's getting a little sleepy, so we're going to have to quit, make this fast. You don't fast. need signs. It's 9.13. Of course I'm sleepy. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely My bedtime. dog eats breakfast at 5 a.m. Yeah, is that the dog's choice? Like, she won't stop crying until you give her breakfast. Wow. For you, baby? I know, that's rough. What do you mean, for me? You love your sleep. No one wants interrupted sleep, No, you, you know? can't. Yeah, there's a phrase. You can't give anybody back their sleep. So true. So That's you- why moms have, like, mom brain. It's because, like, their fucking babies wake them up all the time and they get, like, their brain changes irreversibly. Like, they're that's why they get all depressed and want to kill themselves? I don't exactly know the effects. They call it mommy. I think it's like moms like to just be like, mommy brain, like I did something dumb because I never sleep, but it's like a real thing. I think when I was in birth control, I think my body was saying that I was pregnant. And that's, isn't that how that works? Is that how you not get pregnant on birth control? It makes you not ovulate. But yeah, maybe it's that your body thinks you're pregnant. And I felt like I had mommy brain. I was like doing some dumb shit and I was like I'm gonna get off of this but I do have an IUD now but to be clear that it's it's not being pregnant that gives you mommy brain it's not sleeping like it should be oh it should be <laughs> it should be daddy brain too because they should also not be sleeping yeah I mean you're, you that's a good point I'm sorry back to the original thing <laughs> but yeah to be fair the other day when I was skiing, I forgot to get off the lift, and my first instinct was to be like, I'm pregnant. Like, for whatever reason, <laughs> I just thought it would be like, I don't know. <laughs> so, so, like, people thought, what? What do you mean? Like, I, I don't know. There's literally no rationale, and I didn't actually say it. I was just, you, like, embarrassed that I forgot to get off the lift, and I was like, what? That was just, like, for whatever reason in that moment, what my, I thought to say. I'm pregnant. That's all. <laughs> Yeah. And they're like, oh, it makes perfect well, it's like, sense. It's like men running the lift and they're like, oh, yeah, you know that. <laughs> there must be a side effect. They're like, don't, just ignore her. Don't look at her. She's pregnant. Yeah. Also, people are nicer to you when they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like that's, you know, that's the deal that mm-hmm. you get if you're pregnant. It's like the only time as a woman people aren't like mad at you. They're like, you're, you're fulfilling your duty. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're like, okay, like we'll pull out a chair for you. I can't wait. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so I'm so pumped like to just 
eat extra, get a lot of, you know, extra help. Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons not to be excited about it, but I'm glad that you're excited about it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so what's trending for you? Oh, God, it is so late. I feel like I've already had this conversation with Hope earlier, so now it's kind of like, should I have this conversation again? But I've had a lot of bad luck, good luck. And I mean, actually, it follows good luck, and then what follows is bad luck. So my car tire was flat, and then I had to change all four of my tires, and that cost me like $900. And then I got my wallet stolen out of my car because I left my car unlocked. I don't want to hear it. And people and came in and grabbed my wallet and spent a bunch of money. And then I had to do deal with that. And then I officially told one of the guys I was seeing, Pedro, I don't give a fuck. Whoa, dude, we're going just full name drop? I mean, he doesn't listen, so... And I want the followers to have full intel, so who yeah, cares? Yeah, it's nice if they can put a name to the story. Yeah, Pedro is his name. Um, and I can tell you a bunch of details if you just DM me on the Instagram. I'll just give you all the deets. But I gave him a kind of like shut down whatever was going on there, which was not a lot. Nothing was really going on. And it's, okay, yeah. I am a Susan Alexandra uh, spokeswoman now. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Like, I only got one additional follower. Nobody give, gave a shit. But it, it seemed like it was so exciting that morning I woke up and I saw that Susan Alexandra had shared your TikTok video. Yeah, I was like, We're, I'm famous. I literally thought I'm famous. But I don't know. It's hard to contact them. They didn't like let us have it. There's like only three comments that they allow on Instagram because I was going to be... Uh, and I didn't want to DM them and be like, well, I could have, but... What were you going to say if you DM Thank them? you, I guess. Yeah. But also, thank you for what? Right. For me spending $350 on a purse and then posting about it and then you getting free advertisement out of it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I mean, and I do like them, I will say. I am I was excited to be a part of their branding, but I, I didn't get anything out of it, to be very clear. So if you know about Susan Alexandra, you know about Susan Alexandra. They're beaded. They're very Y2K. They're very, they're the essence of childhood. And I really love that. Very kid core. Yes. Just such fun pieces. Fun, fun, yes. Pedro knew that I was into this. I, I honestly think he, like, wanted to hang out with me because he thought I was, like, he thought, I maybe think he thought I was famous for a second. But Susan Alexandra really got me. No way, Jackie. I mean, he, like, contacted me right he afterwards. He enjoys you as a person. I don't know. Anyways, not anymore. Did he ask you to sign anything when you saw him? <laughs> he, I mean, like, he said I was going to go viral famous for unions stuff because I do talk a lot about union stuff but I thought that was funny because it was like you're confused because you just saw my Susan Alexandra thing anyways and then he wanted to hang out and I was like you think I'm about to be famous so you want to ride these coattails that's not important anyways later on he messaged me on Instagram to see it's and sent me this thing of a local woman kind of making off brand of Susan Alexandra of course not as good because it's that some of that stuff is really hard to to do but still pretty cool purses that I would totally buy. And he had DM'd me this, and I was just like, it's so weird that he found this local girl. And then I, I looked, and it was like, oh, she sells her stuff at – she. the only person that I saw was, like, Fremont Vintage Mall. It was, like, one of the people that we both followed, and we're both local. And I was like, "There's she definitely sells her stuff there. That would be the place to sell Susan, Susan Alexandra knockoffs. Mm-hmm. And But I wanted to make sure – so I messaged him and I was just like, where did you get this? Like, what? Why are you Why are you sending me this? And he was like, oh, I saw it at the Fremont Vintage Mall. And I just like knew this motherfucker is, lives in Capitol Hill, which is not close to Fremont. And he doesn't have a car. And he's also a cheap ass motherfucker. So you know 
he was he went with another girl, which fine. He's allowed to do that. It's just the it's just made me feel gross, you know. He was with another girl at Fremont Vintage Mall. Thought he could get away with being at Fremont Vintage Mall, thinking like to he, me. He does not know who he's dealing with. Yeah, he doesn't like. I can connect dots like that, baby. Like I'm not. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> Anyways, and just like and then sent me some stuff from that experience. It just felt gross. So. It, yeah, it doesn't feel good to, I don't know, to, at first to be like, oh, wow, this person who I've, like, hooked up with is thinking of me, and then to realize that it was happening while they were, I don't know. I feel like if poly people are listening to this, they'll probably be like, why does that devalue your, you know what I mean? But, yeah. like, you, fe- you felt your feelings, and then that... And I, I felt my feelings, and I agree with you. It doesn't devalue it. I think there is things, but the fact that I was so... The way I felt and my reaction was to get mad, I knew I couldn't keep continuing this relationship mm-hmm. yeah. because there was other things were going to come up and yeah. I, it wasn't fair. So I had to be like, no, we're done. You know, I had to just be like, you can't DM me anymore. I, on Friday, I hope and I went to go see some porn, some porn, AKA the hump festival. And it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I honestly, beautiful was a high that weekend, Friday, Saturday, hope and I, I was going to spend the night at hopes, but I didn't, I wish I would have, but you forgot your jammies. I forgot everything. I forgot my toothbrush. I was like, I'm just going home. No, she. I would have given her jammies, obviously. She, I'm not a monster. <laughs> but yeah, we we went with our friend Shelly to go see the Dan Savage Film Festival. And we've gone several times. Anyway, yeah. Know, it was really fun. And then Saturday, we did an estate sale with a couple other friends. And like, honestly, it was so much fun. It was such a good day. It was so good. We went to get some Polish donuts. It was just like... I was like LOLing, ROFLing. I was just like having such a good time. I was like, oh, so great to hang out with my gals. Yeah. It's, it was really intoxicating. And then on my way home, I was driving my my friend Shelly, our, our friend Shelly. If you listen to episode one, you know who she is. <laughs> and <laughs> I had already told Hope and Shelly specifically on Friday. I was like, I have a feeling we're going to run into Pedro and his girlfriend and we didn't that friday night but when i was driving home shelly on saturday and i was like oh fuck and i was not supposed to take this right i always take this one right when i'm not supposed to because it stops being a lane and i i don't mm. remember that and then i have to take a sudden right and i was in that lane and i was like fuck i have to take a right right when i was said that i looked over on the corner was i feel like i'm hearing this for the first time i'm like on the edge of my seat <laughs> On the corner was Pedro and this woman that he had told me about, by the way. And she is stunning, full of light. I was blinded by the light that she was giving. I was just like, this woman is too good for him. But anyways, it was it was my heart, my throat, heart, my throat. It was like really hard to see. And then like on top of this random encounter, he put his arm around her at this moment. And she said something and they both looked at each other and laughed. Like fucking movie. <laughs> I was I was like, I can't. Anyways, so all this like good bad is happening to me. I feel like things are changing, things are morphing, but it's always comes with like this drop. Um and I really was sad and I had to like break down some things about like why I was sad and why I had so many feelings about it because it's not like we dated that long and it doesn't really matter who gives a shit I don't know there's I mean I do know that I can't really talk about it all here if you once we get a patreon I can describe more but 
It's late. Yeah, so my car tire got stolen. My wallet got stolen. I saw dude on the corner. And then my ex and I got in a fight before all this happened. I was really proud of the boundaries that I was setting. So that was good luck. That was mm-hmm. some good magic with Pedro. And then, like, Steven and I got in a fight. Long story. And I'm pretty sure he hexed me. And that is why I've had the bad luck. Because mm-hmm. he's a Pisces. And Pisces are a little magical, if you haven't heard. And, yeah. And I think he said, fuck you, Jackie, out loud. And the universe heard him. And he was, they were like, okay, Jackie Donovan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got it. Well, yeah, we'll handle from here. Yeah, exactly. And I'm also a Pisces moon. I know whoever's like, what the fuck is this zodiac sign bullshit? I we're Seattleites. I don't know what to tell you. It's just like ingrained in us at this point. <laughs> it's just normal culture. I'm a Pisces moon, and that is why I I was a psychic, and I said to them, to you guys, that I felt like we were going to see Pedro and and his new girlfriend. We didn't see it the night that we thought I thought we were, but we did see them. Yeah, and I, it's like. I mean, Seattle's not a small. Place. I mean, it's a it's a city. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got like millions of people, and I mean, he does live in the town that he was walking in. Like, so there's that like the neighborhood, the neighborhood, what neighborhood. Yeah, he lives in Capitol Hill, but he doesn't live in that neighborhood. Oh. I mean, like they were walking around, but at the same time, at the same place, at the same moment, you know, I was taking a right. They were right there. Like, I could see their eyelashes. You know, I was so close to them. Yeah, you commented that she had long ones. She had amazing ones. And I was like, they got to be fake. But whatever. Yeah. I have fake ones, too. Yeah, I mean. That's, I mean, that's a good thing. They can still be amazing. Yeah. Anyways, so that's trending. What's trending, basically, is good luck and bad luck. Good luck and bad luck. Nice. Magic, good luck. Or good magic, bad magic, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know. Every kind of magic. All the magic. What's trending with you, Hope? Trending with me is existential consumerism crises. Like, basically, I've, I've been doing some weird shopping. I'm, I feel like my insatiable appetite for consumption is waning. Like, I went to an estate sale and I didn't feel the need to come home with everything. Mm-hmm. I also... Well, there was a couple weekends ago where I posted on Instagram. Brian said he didn't want to go to an estate sale this weekend, but then I saw these dresses at this one. I'm feeling deep longings for them. They were these like 60s mod, like really, like kind of like neon colored. Well, this one with with like a Peter, like a long Peter Pan, like Peter Pan meets dagger collar. I don't know. It was amazing, and everyone was. So many people responded to me being like, you have to go. Yeah, I mean, I was one of those people. And I was like feeling very enabled. But also, <laughs> I mean, Brian was like really easy to sway. As soon as I told him about the dress, he was like, okay, yeah, let's go. But his whole thing was that he, he was like, you know, I'd like to buy some new stuff this week for the house. Just no estate sale. I just want to go because we needed stuff. We needed salt and pepper shakers because I had bought peppercorns, but we didn't have a grinder. So I was literally just grinding them in the coffee grinder. <laughs> And I mean, that's a good idea. Yeah, but it's like, you know, not necessarily, you don't want to grind too many peppercorns in your coffee. No, because then you have peppered coffee. Yeah, not, I mean, could be the next trend, but I wasn't ready for it. And I was just feeling really conflicted. I also have just been thinking about not wanting to just go thrifting and buy a ton of stuff based on just what I'm seeing. I'm wanting to be more like intentional about, okay, I want to wear this kind of outfit or this kind of look. I should like specifically buy something like on Depop to, to complete it. And But then this dress was just like nagging at me and it was just such a piece of art and history. And then that Friday you were over, Kasha was over, Brian was there. We were watching the documentary that we're later gonna talk about in this episode and I got really stoned. 
And, you know, I've got, I have some good ideas when I'm stoned. Mm-hmm. But I was just thinking about basically what I just told you about not wanting to just like buy clothes indiscriminately. Mm-hmm. And I was, I ended the night feeling very resolute that I was not going to go to the estate sale. And like part of it also is just that like I'm really busy right now, but it's all with things that I, it's just because I have a lot of hobbies and activities. But I feel doing these things, like going to estate sales, takes so long. It feels like a compulsive thing I'm doing that's like taking the place of other things I want to be doing. Researching this podcast. Anyway, I woke up. (laughs) Brian was like not getting out of bed yet. So I was like, maybe I'll just go really quick before he wakes up. (laughs) Not to like sneak, but because I was like, this is just extra time. We We haven't started doing our errands yet. I should just go. We didn't go. We went to Macy's to return what my mom had gotten him for Christmas and and exchange it for like house stuff it was like a total culture shock because tons of people were at the mall people will go to the mall yeah what's going on like the mall should be dying right it was vibrant yeah and it was just kind of a trip to be in macy's like i thought they were going bankrupt but now they just like everything is a million percent off and then we ate panda express and then i got a text from my like my childhood friend did i tell you this you haven't and i'm like shocked that i'm hearing this for the first time yeah i got a text i i moved to california from indiana when i was eight and i had a lot of friends you know in indiana but i just like didn't keep in touch with them yeah Cause like I was eight. I mean, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Like one time I went to visit Indiana and I was in my friend's room and I saw like a postcard that was like, hi Anna, blah, 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 love hope. And it was like, I hadn't written it. And I realized that my mom had been like writing her. Oh my God. That's weird. I know. That's bizarre. To like try to like keep in touch for me. Anyway, this one chick (laughs) named Lori was like my friend growing up and she texted me saying, hey, it's like Lori, blah, blah, blah. I'm in town for the weekend. My mom said that you live here and that I should reach out. Hopefully this isn't too weird. And so I just decided like, fuck it. I had some other stuff I wanted to do like, but it was just, I was, I figured, okay, I can do dinner, two hours. She also wanted to eat sushi, which really aligned with my own goals. Uh, (laughs) So that felt, and she was in town with her boyfriend. So I dragged Brian into it. Double date. And we went and got sushi. It was strange. This is 20 years. Honestly, I'm upset you're telling this on the microphone because I need to process this. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't seen, I hadn't seen her in 20 years. Yeah, and your mom... So, your mom was writing, was her pen pal. I know. I know. <laughs> like, did you bring that up to her? No. <laughs> yeah, that sounds no. like a crushing news. Because she did talk about how, like, eventually we lost touch. I was like, yeah, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that is, yeah, like, later, right? Like, yeah. And, we, and you know, we were kind of trying to catch the boys up. And I was like, yeah, I mean, we hung out a lot. And she was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we were basically best friends, you know? Kind of like looking at me like, right? Bestie, right? We were best friends, right? <laughs> um, and I remember taking that term really seriously when I was young. Like I have this memory of being at church, like, or my homeschool group or something. Whoa, just let a lot of personal details slip in that one sentence. <laughs> but this girl like gave me a best, like a friend, like a best friend necklace where it yeah. was like jagged down the middle, you know, and it like fits whatever. And like later on I returned it to her. Wow. Because I was like, I'm sorry, I can't. Oh, my God. Who was your best friend? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, my God. Crushing. I I don't know. Wait, Hope, were you the bully? No. (laughs) Maybe. But it wasn't like I was trying to be mean at all. I I just took it really seriously. Yeah, you were like, sorry, I just don't have the commitment right now. (laughs) Yeah. Look, me and my cousin are really close. And so it's sort of like she just has that blood. Yeah, it's taking all my time. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, I don't know exactly what to say about the dinner. Like she said she wanted to get sushi. I looked around for like what I thought would be a good sushi restaurant that didn't need or that had reservations and blah, blah, blah. When they got there, they were like very overwhelmed by the number of sushi choices on the menu. So Brian ended up just like kind of ordering a bunch of things for us. Her boyfriend also didn't like sushi. So he... Ooh. Luckily, there were some other things, but Ugh. overall, it was, like, fine, you know? Like, she's she was outgoing enough that it wasn't awkward to have yeah. a dinner. Her and her boyfriend are both really into college basketball, so I was like... Whoa. Like they, Wait, where are they from? Where do they live now? They live in Denver. Everything's been open for, like, a year. Wow. No mask. I believe it. No it's also... Colorado far. itself is actually pretty red. It's, like, Denver and, you know, Boulder are kind of very blue, but Colorado itself is... But it's like Washington too, you know? The same. It's like everywhere. But, but it's I, like uh, Seattle's so so much more of a strong presence here, I feel like. Yeah. Basically like a long intro to me unveiling that I had dinner with a... I can't believe you didn't. You're just not telling me this. 20-year-old friend. It felt like the climax, because the climax isn't that good. It's We had dinner and it was like, whatever. I Yeah, I could get that. But I'm just... There's so many interesting little details about this. Uh-huh. They both like college so, basketball. Like, this is... this is. I mean, I also just don't understand this reality, this world. Yeah. Also, like, one thing I remember from when we were little was that I'd be sleeping over at her house and she... It'd be like kind of, you know, nighttime. And she'd be like... You want some popcorn? Like, you want a snack? And I was like, sure. And she would yell down to her mom, Mom! Who wants a snack? <laughs> and I was, like, mortified. <laughs> like, you said you... I feel oh like you baited God. me there. I feel like you set me up for that. Oh, my God. Now all you have to do is text your mom. What do you mean? If she, if you wanted snacks in this oh, day and age, all yeah. you got to be is like, Mom, back in the day you had to scream at your mother. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what would be the word that would be the trending for you? Existential consumerism crisis. Oh, I like this. Okay, yeah. All right. All right, so we don't have any media hall today, and you're lucky because this would be three hours otherwise. We're talking about Twee. Twee and only Twee. Have y'all heard about Twee? Okay, you can't answer me because... You're listening. But I feel like if you're here and if you decided to listen to this episode, unless you're just one of the loyalists, you maybe have heard about Twee. Okay, so what the fuck is Twee? And you might have heard about it on fashion, TikTok. We definitely talked about it in our trend episode. And I did that thing and I Googled the word. And according to the dictionary, it means excessively or affectionately quaint. Or is it Affectedly. What does that even more mean? Affectedly? We're going to just say excessively quaint. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pretty or sen- sentimental. Twee is just like... So, and so that's like an actual word in the dictionary. Like, I just have never heard anyone use the word twee to not talk never. about the aesthetic. I've never heard this word until Old Loser in Brooklyn talked about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the twee that we know that we kind of that has been popping up is like Zoe Deschanel. She's the poster child. She really is. She wrote about it, or she like talked about it. She didn't write about it on uh, TikTok when people were like, "This is what twee is," and they used her face and her outfits from New Girl, a lot of like Peter Pan colors, and she was like, "Oh, that's what you call it." Mm-hmm. She didn't even know it was called twee, mm. but she was following an aesthetic. And I think that's kind of interesting, but she was also called adorkable, adorkable, and she hated it. Which I say is the same. Twee and adorkable are very similar, but hope you made the reference that you rather be called twee than adorkable. Yeah, I feel like adorkable describes an aspect of twee, but twee, twee is something so much greater. Yeah, exactly. It sounds it sounds different. It's a word we've never heard. Adorkable is just like okay, mm-hmm. like we're gonna start where we started, which probably most of you guys have started, and. 
Old Loser in Brooklyn, a.k.a. Mandy, who is big on TikTok, a trend forecaster, and just has like really great content if you're trying to quickly catch up on trends and fashion history at the same time. Yeah, I'm obsessed with Old Loser in Brooklyn, a.k.a. Mandy, and I follow them a lot and pretty much hang on every single word they say. Mm -hmm. And believe it, they could tell me literally anything and I'd be like, okay. Within that trend, in talking about Twee, Mandy had also discussed indie sleaze so indie sleaze is like the umbrella and twee is like one of the things underneath that umbrella i don't know but so okay but so explain indie sleaze then indie sleaze is smoking cigarettes outside a house show it's like taking film of photos of your friends drinking on their fixie bikes to me hearing that i it sounds like indie sleaze is more firmly rooted in the 2010 i would say with the with the the most recent Twee era. It was part of the Tumblr era, which was part of the Indie Sleaze era. Yeah. So those, like, all kind of encompass each other. Because I think, and so we're going to get to this later, but we're going to get to, like, Twee's roots. Like, it's political, music, etc. roots. And so that's where I'm coming from on that. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm saying on the most recent reviving of it, the one in the most recent history for us, uh-huh. uh, Indie Sleaze is the scene, I guess, that we took part in. Mm-hmm. And Twee is like a aesthetic that was seen within that scene. Got it. And But WGSN, by the way, who are trend forecasters, renamed Twee as Modern Academia. So we might switch back and forth depending. But that is something to consider if you're seeing something that comes up as Modern Academia. It's the same thing as Twee. Yeah. And so, okay. First off, have you seen people dressing Twee in real life, right? Like lately. I guess what I'm getting at is like when someone like Mandy gets up and says, that Twee's coming back. It's like, there's just so many trends swirling around right now yeah. that it's hard for me to parse out. Is this a real thing? Or is it just like people on the internet start talking about it and then instantly you have other people writing articles about right. it because we're all just like stuck in this content vortex? That's a good question. I don't think I personally, but none of the people that I surround myself besides you and me follow fashion TikTok or trends because we live in fucking Seattle. So I don't know. But I also think there is something to it being said as a trend and then people write about it and then it becoming a trend. So is it a self-fulfilling prophecy? Almost like, yeah. And I mean, yeah, I think it makes sense that it would be like maybe people would follow a little bit behind that like we'd see it in the real world a little bit later. But also I feel like a ton of fashion is just happening on the internet right now. Yeah. I feel like half the people that are posting outfit in photos, like, aren't even wearing that outfit all day. They're posting it and then getting into their pajamas. No, I agree. So. And to answer your question, I have not seen anybody personally wear it. But a lot of people, both now and in the 2010 iteration of Twee, have been writing about it. So, do you know this website, The Face? I've seen it. I've read multiple things about Twee from The Face, and Mandy posted on it. Oh, and she mo- did. She, she wrote an article on it, so that's where I pulled stuff. So The Face is an expert on the on Twee stuff, apparently. Because I also, that's where I found my other articles. Anyways, go okay, on. Okay, do you want to read their, their, like, characterization of it? Yeah. The Twee style is characterized by cute, quirky, and sweet elements that reference Japanese subculture, Lolita, and 1960s mod. Juxtaposition, hipster, and indie common style elements of Twee include high-waisted circle skirts, collared button-up shirts, chunky-knit cardigans, patterned tights, thick-rimmed glasses, knee-high socks, and Mary Janes with the red lip to top it off. It's all coming back. It makes me think, like, the, the grandpa aesthetic is twee. Yeah, 
pulling from cutesy too though right 2014 the atlantic wrote your twee if you like artisanal hot sauce your twee if you hate bullies Twee's core values include a healthy suspicion of adulthood, a steadfast focus on our essential goodness, the cultivation of a passion project, and the utter dispensing with of cool as it's conventionally known, often in favor of a fetishization <laughs> of the nerd, the geek, the dork, the virgin. So which makes me, like, the artisanal hot sauce thing to me is hip, more hipster than Twee. Yeah, Twee is supposed to be this snubbing of cool, but actually it's the epitome of cool. I always like, those were the cool girls that were all Twee. So, I mean, I don't know. It's but is to- it like cool in a different, it's like, it's cool in that it made it cool to not be mainstream, but in a way that wasn't punk. Yeah, I guess so. It's like, it's supposed to be endearing and sweet. It's more conservative, the aesthetic. Right. It's like a more palatable alternative culture the hasas thing thing for me just didn't do it like i feel like hipster was in the same era but it's different than twee a lot of twee people were hipster i would also say that twee is mostly women but and i don't feel like a women are really that excited about artisanal hot sauce i mean that's that's like a bro thing i don't know a bro hipster thing the tumblr girl obviously was a, a more female aesthetic but i feel like i feel like maybe twee there's also the hipster evolution. Or, like, there is a guy with the mustache that has the suspenders. Mm-hmm. That is twee, I guess. Right, yeah. Right. People are talking about that Wes Anderson, waxed mustaches, micro brood beard. Yeah. This article doesn't do it for me. Sorry, Atlantic. Um, <laughs> I just feel like it's, they're not really nailing it. Well, this was a 2014 article, so this was That makes TikTok. more sense. Yeah. Then they talk about a book called Twee, The Gentle Revolution in Music, Books, Television, Fashion, and Film by Mark Spitz. And he calls it the most powerful youth movement since punk and hip-hop. He also names Mickey Mouse the first American Twee icon, given his shorts, his hooting eunuch voice, his uh, <laughs> and his taking arms against a sea of troubles. So it's like, and, and talks about like embracing underdogs as being a core aspect of Twee. I am, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little enraged. I didn't know this was going to come up. I didn't, I'm feeling myself, I'm getting mad about it. Why? It's just like, Mickey Mouse is super racist. Mm. What troubles are you fucking talking about? Yeah, which I feel like gets into that Twee originally was more of a political more of a political movement and but it was about being political but also being like sweet like nice about and then twee since then has just gutted out all of the substance but i also want to reference this okay this is from an article of the face as well written by Ola Pomitsi called twee fashion style aesthetic tiktok social media actually that's just like that's their yeah no that's like what they put in the link (laughs) sorry if you google all those things you will find it you've got a google search package but he he also quotes mark sprints in this and then he said according to the author core values between us are a steadfast focus on essential goodness but yeah. yeah, it's an interesting point about Mickey Mouse. It is, and it gets at kind of like what was critiqued about Twee in the 90s, which was that it stood for nothing, which like the people involved in Twee would disagree with. But I think having Mickey as your poster child, yeah, it's a bad look. It's a really bad look. And also the eunuch voice, what does that have to do with Twee? Because he doesn't have balls, he's not sexual? Well, I feel like in this instance, they're probably not referencing him not having balls, but instead it being high-pitched and sweet. Is probably what they're getting at. I have a lot of problems with that. Yeah. 
I don't even know where to begin, but obviously I haven't thought about this until this very moment, and now I'm just like... You're getting a live reaction, people. (laughs) Moving on. So for the late 2000s and early 2010s, Lexa Chung is an example. Do you know who that is? Yeah. I always knew of her. I don't know why she was ever famous until, like, I guess she was a Tumblr. Um, Is she an actress? She's like a fashion person. Yeah, but I think it was from Tumblr. I don't know why. Yeah, it was that error. No way. She got that famous just from Tumblr? Pretty sure. Rookie Mag's Tabby Gibson, who I fucking love. Okay. And, of course, the one that we mentioned earlier, Zoe Deschanel. And they're really the ones that pushed the twee look. And it's important to note that uh, Tumblr was at its height during this time and birthed, like, so many of the trends basically started to dominate mainstream fashion. I think, okay, sorry, Chung... So, you know, Alexa Chung has a fashion label, but, but the way that she got there, she was scout. She was a model. She was scouted at some place. They always say that. I don't know if I believe it because they're always like, oh, just someone stopped me and said I had to be a model. And I'm like, I don't know. That just feels like a good PR move. Yeah, it's, it's never happened to me. So yeah. uh, I don't know <laughs> exactly. if these scouts really exist. Um, okay, anyway, so they popularized Twee. Yeah, and those are kind of like what I remember, and those are the people that I I kind of looked up to. Tabby Gevison was, by the way, like 12 when she came out with Rookie Mag, and I was like looking up to a 12-year-old at the time. I think a lot of us were. So my own experience, since trends are speeding up and cyclical, we have already experienced the ND sleeve. Like you and I, we're not even that old. It was only like five years ago when it stopped. That's weird. I think that's weird. The trend circles are fast. And we've already experienced it in our past, in our 20s. And I am grateful for it in a lot of ways and mad about it from some of the trauma that I experienced because of it. You know, there's like layers of it. And really what I experienced was the indie sleaze era of that time of late 2000s early and early 2010s. And it most of the scene is influenced by music, which I think is really cool that how intertwined music and fashion are. Mm-hmm. And how they influence each other. Because the punk scene is a great right. example. Yeah. And the disco. In- yeah. All of that. I feel like it's pretty much the music and the sounds is exclusively connected to how what's fashionable at the time. And I don't know. We haven't really talked about that. And I grew up in Nashville, which had a huge indie scene. I actually grew up in Murfreesboro, which had Middleton C State University, <laughs> which had a huge recording industry major. And we had all these people coming to MTSU to become part of the recording industry major. And we had so many musicians. Like, And rent was very cheap. So we all lived in houses. And we all would have house shows in the same block. So it was like somebody else would be playing a house show. And you could go next door and, and there would be another house show. Mm-hmm. It was a very... It was a good time to be alive and it was a lot of fun. But yeah, so this is my experience, and this is like Indie Sleaze era for sure, and it definitely influenced me to some capacity of my fashion choices. I didn't realize everybody was on Tumblr. That is what I was, I was like, why is everybody getting all this, like, I literally was lost in fashion-wise. I was so confused on how everybody looked so fucking cool, Mm. but it was because everybody was on fucking Tumblr. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that's like, seems like it could have been a very useful tool. I had no fashion inspiration at the time. What do you mean? Like, I just didn't look at websites for fashion inspiration, and that would have been so helpful. Yeah, exactly. I didn't I didn't even know, like, I knew Tumblr existed, but, like, maybe I didn't even. Like, I think I knew Tumblr existed, like, five years ago. Like, I first heard about it. No one told me. 
No one told me. Anyway, so I'm kind of sad that I missed out on the whole Tumblr world and didn't get in on that. I didn't even really have a computer until like out of college. And I was like, what internet? And also like, this is a story that I was going to tell is like, I didn't have Wi-Fi. The thing about being indie is like you're poor. And I didn't have Wi-Fi. I did get a Wi-Fi box. What do you mean the thing about being indie? If you're actually in indie sleaze, it's just a bunch of DIY poor motherfuckers that are just trying to make ends meet. Technically, it's not always like that. That's what, like, that's where it is, though. You mm-hmm. know, like, we're all smoking cigarettes trying to get away from the mm-hmm. from the man. Anyways, but we were poor. We were significantly poor. And when I, you were in college. Yeah, and my group of, my, my group of friends... We're not like we're not we weren't the cool indie sleaze ones because we came from families that weren't supporting us on some levels, you know. So like we were actually poor. Uh-huh. That's why we weren't as cool. We had this is after college. We lived in a house in Nashville at the time, and I didn't pay my Wi-Fi for months because I just didn't couldn't afford it. And then a reap a guy repoed it back. The Wi-Fi company came and took it away. Oh. So, like, I didn't have Wi-Fi. Let alone Tumblr. Let alone Tumblr. Yeah, exactly. And I had, like, a flip phone at the time. That was my experience. Like, the larger culture was indie at the time. You know, like, all the indie music was there. Right. Not everybody, I guess, had an indie local music, and that's why I thought I wanted to mention mine. Okay, so I'm recording this after the fact because after thinking about it more, I realized that I did have an experience with indie sleaze. And it was that in college, I lived in a co-op and we would put on kind of like small scale music festivals. I wasn't really involved at the time. I would just show up and enjoy, but it would be like at a farm and people would set up tents and like DJs would come play and there'd be, it was very connected to Burning Man culture. And so that really blossomed for me when I moved to the Bay Area and me and my friends would throw parties at abandoned bunkers in like national recreation areas, one bunker in particular. But so we'd bring out a generator and a sound system and like rugs, basically all stuff left over from Burning Man and, um, we would like bring it out into the park and have our friends all DJ'd. And so I think it was like a similarly DIY scene, probably not as twee as like maybe Jackie's Nashville scene, but um, very DIY, very indie sleaze. And this was like all the way up until like 2017. And we weren't poor per se at the time, but like we were in the San Francisco area and only maybe one of us in the group was in tech. So we were definitely like on the lower end of the um, like salary spectrum there. And so it really was about like making our own events. And um, yeah, it was a really good time. It makes me curious, like if like in that Indie Sleaze feels more 2010 and Twee feels more, has like more of a history, but also, the indie sleaze doesn't feel like it fits into the tweest sensibility of cutesy or being... That's fair. I But I feel like I wore Peter Pan collars and smoked cigarettes. So you could have been affected by both of these movements or aesthetics without them being the same thing. Yeah, but I feel like indie sleaze and, and tweed, at least during the late 2000s, 2010s, were so interconnected. Because they're, they're both part of the hipster. Certainly interconnected. I, I, I'd still say distinct because like okay. I just don't... Well, I guess I haven't read about the history of indie sleeves, but I think like given that we've rooted Twee in like a music movement of the 90s, like I, I don't know. I guess they just they Things can be one but not the other. Yeah, but indie sleeves also in the 90s did exist too. Uh-huh. 
I would even say Sarah Records was more indie sleaze than not. More indie sleaze than twee? I would say it's twee, but that was the term that they were given by people. But they were also indie sleaze. Like, they were definitely DIY. It was definitely kind of grungy. You know, there wasn't... And they were cutesy because of the sounds. Well, and, like, the way they looked, some of them. Some of them, yeah. Let's start from the beginning, though. So twee, like we said, is coming back from this era of the 90s, too. Yeah, so basically, Jacobin wrote an article about twee... You know, they basically acknowledge, like, okay, a lot of people are writing about how this aesthetic is coming back, but it's not actually just Peter Pan collars and ukulele and Zoe Deschanel. It's like this thing that has political roots, especially in Britain, that were tied to the punk scene, tied to opposition to Thatcherism, an attempt at carving out a socialist music culture and so you know they talk about how it was originally pejorative maybe still pejorative but was at first applied to jangly guitar pop bands of the of the 1980s and especially bands under this record label called sarah records which is which we watched a whole documentary on this record label for research the way i remember i don't know if you do it you said what should we call it and i went sarah anyone that was doing music of the sort that we were wanted to be on Sarah before they were on anything else. I trusted the label so much that I would buy anything they put out. There were Sarah gigs, there were Sarah tours, so we would go on tour with Brighter and the Field Mice and Heavenly. I mean, what a great bill. Just where we lived didn't seem to matter when it came to a Sarah gig, we travelled. When you say to a lot of people that we were based in Bristol, they would get the thing called massively taking 47 pound trips. Obviously, we weren't involved in that at all. The attitude was very much influenced by the punk scene. That idea that anyone can pick up a guitar and play, anyone can start a fanzine, anyone can start a record label, and that was the bedrock that it was founded upon. Oh, the music press. Oh, the music press. I, I. They. The music press absolutely hated and detested and loathed Era Record with abandon. It was everything they absolutely hated about music. They thought it was twee, they thought it was sexless, they thought it had no balls, they thought it had no bollocks. And so all of these bands had this like nostalgic aesthetic and with like bright colors, whimsical lyrics, a feminine 1960s inspired sense of style. And at the time, like a lot of record labels were apolitical, but Sarah Records was aiming to put socialist values at the forefront of their work. And I mean, that's what Jacobin says. It seems like more than socialist, they were anti-consumerism. They were anti-capitalist. Yeah. Which I feel like, and also having just listened to the Rafi documentary, it's like, the way he was trying to produce music, he was like, I'm not going to take a record deal about Baby Beluga. Like, I'm anti Consumerist, which which is different to yeah. me. Yeah, the 2000s and 2010 tweet or Andy era was shallow. I don't think it was rooted in anti-capitalist. Well, I mean, I don't think... I think what the point of the article is, is that the aesthetic has a history, not to say that it's still political in that way. Well, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm just comparing the two. And this is stemming from a political movement and through music. I feel like the 2000, 2010 era might have been symptomatic of the political climate, 
but it wasn't an act movement. When Sarah Records was happening, it was the era of Margaret Thatcher, the miners' strike, Falklands War, Brixton riots. Founders of Sarah Records are talking about this and saying like, how could you not be political? And the whole thing was that Claire and her partner at the time, Matt, started a record label at 19 and they were trying to like do, do something different. And the underlying philosophy was that pop music in its celebration of communal joy could itself be political. So like, you're never gonna, you're never gonna start a revolution by being dreary, Haynes tells us. And so for the DIY pop bands of the 80s, the act of embracing excitement and beauty in the face of political despair was its own kind of rebellion. So I guess that gets at the Mickey Mouse thing. And I think that's definitely like, yeah, I don't know that like being cheery as an actor rebellion is like enough. WGSN talked about radical optimism because capitalism wants you to like just give in. And when you believe that there's hope, there's a silver lining, that's Mm -hmm. pushing you towards something, you know? Yeah, and I mean, this article basically is talking about Sarah Records and what what they were doing that was different and how, how it kind of like begot the Twee era. And so one thing that they were trying to do was like create a record label that wasn't just trying to sell people as much as possible. It's funny because like, okay, between this and the Raffi content I've been consuming, I'm hearing a lot of that from the 90s of like pushing up against consumerism. They don't want to be fed commercials all the time. They don't want to have to buy one of those flexi discs that just has one song on it and then breaks. And I feel like we're just really used to that at this point to where that's not a conversation anymore. Like we don't say we're not against consumerism anymore because that's it's too it's too late. We're talking more about capitalism now, whereas the conversation then was about... I mean, they were talking about capitalism because they were anti-Margaret Thatcher, but it's just... It, do you think it was more about individual consumption versus the overall capitalism? I feel like a lot of it was directed at, like, corporations. Uh-huh. And, like, it is now, but I feel like we're realizing that, like, corporations are enabled by the government. But it just felt like... So Rafi was, like, not wanting to sell out. And I... I hate the idea of selling out, but I get it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just weird to me. It feels like an antiquated way to talk about it for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think what is more affordable, really. You're still having to sell things no matter what, right? I think one thing that really distinguished this place and time of music was that the fans and the bands were really close. You would go to a show, and this is how Sarah Records started. They were making fanzines, so you would... You would make a zine. There was a lot of screen printing getting at your DIY characterization. So they'd come to these shows. They'd have their fanzines that they'd made. Basically just like talking about how much they loved the band or they loved the album. And it was almost like they were independent journalists, but also part of a community. So it was like, it felt like the bands and the people who went to the shows were part of the same community. And Sarah Records was kind of coming at it like that. Like when they were producing records, they were thinking about the fans and like the community, not just trying to sell as much as possible. That's interesting. I like that. And it just makes me think of like music journalists now, how much they're not. It's a job. And it's, you know, if you're writing for Rolling Stone, you're not going to a concert seeing people you know. It's not like you're part of something. It's not like you're there truly as a true fan. It's you have like a whole separate role in this situation. And same with the bands. It's like they don't know. You're there to be a, a free publicist, really. They they have relationships to carve out an identity for people, basically creating musicians to be celebrities. And I don't think Claire Wad wasn't doing that with and Matt weren't doing that in the sense of making fanzines, but it was more of a collaborative 
art piece mm-hmm. with the art mm-hmm. with the music itself yeah. yeah so it wasn't just trying to sell that it's like we're all in this together we're all making art yeah i'm making art about your art yeah and i mean i guess you could say that about a lot of music scenes like your music scene in nashville like you knew the bands they knew you yeah like it you maybe weren't making fanzines, but it's, I guess, I, like any small music scene, you are going to have that. And it, I guess you just get bigger and then... We all had, like, these... Yes, because we all had this, like, community that was making things and doing things consistently. Because mm-hmm. we're all doing stuff together. We just have events to hang out and we do weird shit. I wish my notes were better. We were really stoned when we watched this documentary. I, <laughs> yeah, But we I were. do have writing poetic zines, oh. love poems, feminism... Do you remember that? when? Like, yeah, I wrote fanzines were supposed to feel like three-minute pop songs. That was what Matt said. And well, do you remember the one that literally, they were showing fanzines that were like really poetic and really romantic. Yeah. And it was like very vulnerable. Which is interesting because it's like, I can see how that gave way to the Tumblr girl. Because like the Tumblr girl is, and Mina Lee talks about this, very open about depression. Not in a way of like normalized mental health, but more in a way of, I'm a sad girl, like Lana Del Rey. Yeah. Being sad is hot and blah, blah, blah. I can see how the fanzines, and also gave way to like live journal. Totally. I mean, I think Claire was talking about a lot of her and Matt's relationship and some of the poems mm. that she was producing. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of... But yeah, no, it's very... And it was feminine. It, yeah, and that's the thing. All the, Tumblr's feminine. Twee is feminine. Mm-hmm. A lot of these aesthetics, is it's counterculture and just the aspect that it's embracing its feminine femme as culturally we know it. Yeah, and so that was the idea behind, as we said before, naming the label Sarah Records was that it was like putting a female name front and center. It was such a male-dominated space, even though it did sign a lot of male bands and like... That's what always happens and it really makes me mad because the indie scene, forever the indie scene, is usually just a bunch of white dudes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what's real indie about that? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Just because you, like, and and that's what upsets me. And they were trying to make a a shift, but they didn't actually make one in that way that they thought they were. Mm -hmm. And neither did... Nashville. Nashville was very much still patriarchal, and I just like it, it. It's very reminiscent of all of that, men dominating the music scene, mm-hmm. even in the mainstream culture, but also in the indie culture, and white men especially. I remember I got in a huge fight with somebody that was Tyler. Tyler's the one that ran Tour de Fun. Tour de Fun was like this bike event that we go house show to house show. And I was just like, I was more woke than everybody there all the time. Okay. I was the wokest one. I took, I, I took uh, social work classes. So I was just like, can we have a real conversation? Because there was a lot of people that were going to be playing at Tour de Fun. I was like, can we have a real conversation about how every single band is white? How did people react? They were real. They yelled at me. They kicked me out. Are you serious? I'm not joking. This is all still like they're not dealing with their inherent racism. Conversation of race was not being brought up in in the, and I'm sure it was not being brought up in this era either, but definitely not in that era. Yeah. I did wonder. So they started a record label when they were 19. What did that mean? Like, were they buying these bands or like they were paying to produce the music? Like, how did they do that? Like, they talk about recording, and, you know, they talk about Claire being, like... They don't really talk about that. I remember there was one band that was, yeah, and then she said, like, I want the bass to be down. All of my British accents sound like 
the Spice Girls. You're pretty good. Thank you. They were basically talking about recording and her and Claire being very, you know, you know when people talk about women like actually having a say in things and, and they kind of frame it as like, yeah, she was a pretty big stickler because she'd be like, yeah, less bass. She like, hated here, the bass. Here's how I want this song. Put this song on, not that song. I just don't understand how a record label works or like how you can just be like, this is my record label. This is how we're going to do it. They, yeah, someone called her a benevolent dictator. They didn't call, I don't think they called Claire a benevolent dictator. They talked about the field mice had a woman in it. And oh, she. Oh, you're right, you're right. Tallulah. Yeah. Or maybe she, it was Tallulah's the band name? No, Heavenly was the band name that she came out with. Okay. Because I did some research because I was like. Yes, you're right, you're right. I was like, I was really mad about how, like, the one woman lead led band in Sarah Records was being called a dictator because she wanted to make her own music mm-hmm. and have everybody play it. And they were like, she's a dictator. And I was like, well, that's what's the difference? What man, that's yeah. literally what a front man is. Yeah, that's how people, that's how music bands But then go. they did it, right? Because like... They did it, but like, you didn't hear anybody else call, be called a dictator. Well, yeah, it's fucked up that they called her that. But I think that they like did go along with it and probably were happy because it was like they made good music as a result. They were probably like, they were probably like, oh, she's a dictator yeah claire was really happy about it because claire was like you know she was like pro women and she wanted that and they and i they sounded very that era riot girl era which she said she was very inspired by at the time people say she's bad but they don't see the way she is with me p is for the Yeah, honestly, I would recommend this documentary because I was very inspired by all the screen printing art and I thought the music was really fun to listen to. A lot of like things that kind of sound inspired by the Smiths. Oops, sorry, I farted. (laughs) Go on. But so then we start getting into talking about twee and how this kind of music started being called twee. In my notes, I have twee, sexless, shabby indie ethos. Is that what they said? Wow. How they articulate themselves, I'm just like, wow. Also, Sarah Records didn't put women on record art, album art, because they kept seeing just... That's how they sell the sex sells. Sex sells. And so like to have twee be called sexless, it's like, yeah, because they're not overtly objectifying women, I suppose. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and the people also accused it of not making a statement, that it was childish, that it was anti-punk, which, like, really, it doesn't seem anti-punk to me. It seems they were just going about it a different way, but they were very anti-establishment, anti-capitalist in a way. I think anti-punk is, like, not so aggressive, because punk is about taking it all and doing whatever you got to do, and not a lot of women were invited to that role, you know, like, moshing and being physical on set. This was more about being sweet. Sweet. But it's like, it just is just, it's like everything where anything that's female or loved by females is criticized. It's, yeah, duh. Yeah, apparently Australians hated it. And, but there are a couple Australian bands. There's one. And the Field Mice, one of the bands on the, on the label, they broke up on stage. It sounded, you know, it's like you see your friends, their band breaks up on stage. It sounds like such a moment. And I said, my main takeaway from this was just that you shouldn't be famous that long. It should just be like a cool phase in your life. Oh yeah, I remember you saying that. And then you should just move on. Like being famous and continuing to make records, like who the fuck cares what you have to say anymore? It's just like, stop. Yeah. There's so many people who are capable of making good music. 
why do we need to create these celebrities and be like, oh my god, they gotta keep going? Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see what they put out next. And it's like, why? Yeah, no, you're right. Lady Gaga needs to stop. I do love you, Lady Gaga, but you got your era, you got your thing. You don't need to. I feel like there's a metamorphosis that can only happen like five times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then Kanye, stop, stop, Mm -hmm. like just let go. It's just, I think it's them, a lot of them clinging and us clinging on to nostalgia at that point. Well, and it's like, I mean, what you just make. so much money and then but obviously it's like I think people should stop before they even get famous because Kanye he can stop making music but he can never stop being famous yeah you know that's fair but and I feel like our girl Claire even though I don't think that her record label dissolved like purpose it did dissolve and now she's an accountant and wait 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 you made it sound like she went into accounting because she had to I don't know if she did she they saw because the relationship also they also broke up. Oh, they broke up, and then they kind of just and they were on really great terms. They're just so mellow. They I mean, were I'm so British. I'm sure they had some non-mellow moments that we're not seeing, but they remind me of very indie couple that's shy, doesn't really talk to many people, but mm-hmm. like always really cool, and everybody wants to get to know them. But, like Claire is an accountant now, which I think proves a good point of really you just want to go on vacation. Really, at the end of the day, you turn 32 and you don't give a fuck and you just want to get paid and you just want to get your money and not have to think about it and you just want to go on vacation. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the 19-year-old who was in the punk scene, the 19-year-old who was in the twee scene, yada, yada, they're all just fucking accountants now. And or, they're all, yeah. They're all, hey, Jim. Or hedge funders. I was talking about how hippies are now, like, what, they, they turn into hedge funders. But she's just got this, like, cool phase of her life that she gets to look back on. Yeah, she does get to say that she started a record label and that is really cool. And I hope the best for her. And I don't blame her for being an accountant for one second. Maybe yeah. she's talking about being a sex worker and we didn't know it. Right, yeah. If you know, you know. I highly doubt that. We've defended Twee. We've sort of explained it. And it's like nomenclature. But there's also some critiques of it. Yeah, like of the redoing of I'm a jaded ass motherfucker and I TikTok was having a discourse about if we're going to bring Twee back, are we bringing back anorexia then? Because Tumblr celebrated eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Which which is like Twee references the mod aesthetic. That body type was also really popular then. Like yeah. the straight, just like wafy body type. Mandy wrote in their article on the face about this. Many are concerned that its, its resurgence will inherently bring back the body image trends accompanied its original wave. Such as a thigh gap, eating disorder-centered communities, and pro-anorexia or pro-bulimia forums that not only glorify but also glamorize eating disorders and celebrate emaciated bodies from emaciated. the late 2000s. Emaciated bodies from the late 2000s. When the trend cycle in, inadvertently moves on and begins to reference styles from the late 2000s, like Andy Slees and Twee, that doesn't mean MySpace will suddenly become the go-to social media app, nor that imagery of harmful behavior will be glamorized with glitter filters and inspirational Kate Moss quotes a la peak Tumblr. It's difficult to pinpoint if we is inherently fat phobic or it's merely an association. Mm. Let's be clear, associations are incredibly valid, but they just may not be universal truth. What seems to be a universal truth can actually be boiled down to one question. Despite personal associations, style identities, or era, has skinny always been in and will we ever move the needle? So basically what that is saying to me is like, it's not Twee's fault that Skinny is popular? Well, I think it's also saying that just because an aesthetic reappears doesn't mean it comes back full force. Like 70s, in the 90s was a representation of the 70s. Mm-hmm. And it, of course, was different mm-hmm. in different ways. And then Twee, 
then it's going to look different yeah. now. Right. Every iteration of Tweet has been different. And, like, body types come in trends and out of trend as well. It doesn't always line up. Not that it should. But also, like, we need to ask her a question. I think it's more of a question of, like, we can have an aesthetic without having a body trend. Mm-hmm. And I'm with Mandy. Of course, I'm, like... I'm like, they're the smartest person in the world. But there is a sense of we can be smarter than our last trends. We can grow from the fat phobic culture that we learn from and still have this tweet aesthetic that is conservative and not be slim mm-hmm. and not look like Zoe Deschanel. Mm-hmm. That there is a world of that. And that is happening. And they're also saying and pinpointing that Tumblr was not being really regulated at all, mm-hmm. especially with anorexia and bulimia stuff. I feel like, I don't know how regulated it, the internet is. <laughs> I'm guessing not. But there are, like, inst- I mean, like, I think people are having conversations about all this stuff now. Yeah. So it's not people are just, like, glorifying anorexia and bulimia like they were on Twitter. Right, I feel like that's where you had, like, the pro-anorexia group yeah hope's hope is uh going downhill right now this is this is the moment you're gonna have to carry us home okay it's all you <laughs> okay so basically there's another article that I, i'm gonna go through this really quick by olive pomitzi that i talked about earlier and they quoted carla buzasia the ceo of trend forecasting wgsn and the resurgence uptake in tweet fashion quoting it as a natural extension of the retro revival we saw during the height of the pandemic when Consumers of all ages look to the past to provide reassurance during a turbulent present. Vinyl sales went up. Old computer games and consoles came back into fashion. We even rekindled our love affair with bird-eyed custard powder. That we're now seeing this manifested in what we're wearing and how we accessorize our home isn't a surprise. This article kind of talks about how twee isn't just an, a style, it's also an attitude, it's a sense of being, like we have been discussing. But one of the things that he pinpoints... Well, in sense, so essentially this is like, it's talking about like nostalgia, right? And like why we're... Connecting the social political climate to our necessity of twee. Mm-hmm. And when it feels safe, I feel like we lean on attributes of goodness. Mm. Like when there's more of a liberal... I president, which I don't think we actually have. It's it's all a facade, right. you know. But, but like, yeah. So, it, but it would make sense that like Twee in like the 2010s was cool. We've got Obama. We can like yeah pr- pretend everything's just peachy fine. Yeah, we can. Which wasn't what Twee was supposed to be in the original, right? Like the 90s, Twee was reacting to a politician that they didn't like. Yes, exactly, exactly. But we're back into this Twee era, and you know the pandemic is supposedly declining, which it's not really. But like, and we have a not Trump in presidency, so I think people are hinging towards this aesthetic of good and earnest because it feels safer now to do so. One of the examples is the universally loved, pretty much train spotter of TikTok, which. It was funny that this article brought this up because I brought it up during High as Fuck during the documentary watch. I didn't real I I didn't realize that was a coincidence. When I saw it on the notes, I was like, huh, I didn't remember that Jackie was talking about that because of Twee. I wasn't talking about it because of Twee. I don't know what actually I think I was I don't remember how I brought it up, but I was like, Oh, like the train spotter dude. And then I was like, Oh, but you know that's just a facade and Brian and Kasha kind of lost their mind. Hope was like, What's going on? <laughs> Yeah, because when you first hear about the train spotter dude, 
and him not being real, it does kind of break your no, heart. Kasha's mind was not blown. She was like, what, he can't like trains and also be popular? I just feel like there was some pushback as to whether it well, was actually, like, changed anything about his content, the fact that he was like... That's, and this is what it kind of goes into, mm -hmm. is, is the, the layers of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so his name is Francis Bourgeoisie? Like, is that what it is? I don't know. Borges? It looks like, yeah, bourgeois. He's only 21 years old, and he has 2 million followers mm -hmm. on TikTok. People comment on his thing, you are my safe place, protect this man, he is our last source of genuine happiness. Francis makes me think that maybe humans are worth saving. He's like, the earnestness in his TikToks, if you ever watch them, are, it feels really real. And I think when people found out that it wasn't truly earnest. What do you mean? But... Because what, what about it wasn't earnest? He he would dress up in vintage conductor outfits. He he parted his hair down the middle. Like He's he looked he, character. And it felt like he didn't have any social skills. And he in the GoPro setting was right here. And he looked like his eyes were going separate ways. And he lost his mind. And I think everybody was like... Oh, he's on the spectrum for sure. Uh -huh. But he's and everybody's just like he's just pure of joy from these trains. Like he's getting these just pure. It's, it was just it felt right. genuine, right? And a lot of it's tweet inherently his action, like the way the aesthetic that he was like, look, right. it was all very tweet. Yeah. And Oliver goes on to write that Francis also epitomizes Spitz summonation of tweet value as the utter dispensing with of cool as conventionally known. Not because being a train spotter is necessarily a nerdy hobby, but because he quite literally transformed himself into another cool identity mm. to embrace his passion. Mm -hmm. Responding to speculation that uh, Francis is a fake character after Internet Sleuths discovered his real name is Luke Nicholson, so it's not even a real name, mm -hmm. and found old pictures of him wearing Prada beanies and Burberry shirts, the nation's favorite train spotter made a social media star write a passage, a setting the record straight video. Oh my God. <laughs> he sold his train set to fund a gym membership and started gelling his hair up. And he, this is what he was all saying. Be like, yeah, I kind of sold out. And then lockdown happened and my hair grew out and I reclaimed my love for trains. And new tweet pipeline just dropped. Nerd to cool kid to cool nerd. Oh my God. Now, now he's a model? Now he's bottling. And starring in the latest North Face and Gucci campaign. In a short film, he steps into his shoes on a train conductor, welcomes a collection clad passengers on board and blows his whistle looking like the idolized character ripped from Wes Anderson's ever feverish imagination. Wow. So, I don't know. I feel mixed about that. Okay, so Train Guy is like the twee icon of now. It was like whoever the fuck in the 90s, Zoe Deschanel in the 2010s, and now Train Guy. He's like our fake twee icon. Yeah, I, I feel like we need to soak on that because it's interesting because it's adding a layer because he's not only he's on TikTok, so that it's influencing itself. The earnestness is there. The lying is there. This The video talking about the lying. And then, like, now he's being saved by it. It's also like, interesting because it's like Twee is supposed to be uncool or, like, different. And I feel like now it's like that. In his case, it was like he was pretending to be, like, neurodivergent. And, oh, where are you getting my computer's making a noise i'm afraid it's gonna be 
It's been making a noise the whole time. No. Well, hopefully it's fine. Um, it's like he's pretending to be neurodivergent, which is like uncool or like not mainstream. Yeah. And that's like the twee of now is being neurodivergent or being... Adorkable, maybe? But it's like, but it's like of now. Like, yeah, it's like more of, I almost want to say like queer and just like not normal. N- normal. Yeah. And that's well, like the pipeline to cool now is we've talked about it, like the, it's being gay is like the coolest thing. Yeah. And if you're not, <laughs> if you're not like what the fuck, but yeah, it's, it is being like neurodivergent, like almost like not having social skills is the cool right. thing. Which is like all of these TikTokers who are like, they have a relationship with people on TikTok, but they're like literally like hold up in their apartments, not don't go out. And that's like also part of their personalities that they don't like to do anything. Yeah. And they're like, everyone's like, yeah, I have social anxiety. It's like cool to have social anxiety now. Yeah, it is cool to have social anxiety. Also though, like, I don't blame you. We just got done with the pandemic and they probably, they really do. Yeah. They started when they were like 18 and they're like 20 now and. They still don't, they didn't learn during their pivotal moments of how to like have those social connections. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're coming in. We covered it. We did it. We fucking did it. I can't believe it. Yeah, it is 11. How the fuck are you still up? I mean, yeah, I have a dentist appointment tomorrow at 7, so I'm just like, are you going to be okay? Yeah, I do. I, I don't always sleep. No, but I know that's the problem. I want to make sure you're sleeping. Like, if I had to wake up early tomorrow, I probably wouldn't have. Yeah. Been we, able to. We'll be fine. We, yeah, we do it for the fans. We do it for you. We do it for you. Um, yeah, so if you made it this way, you must, made it all this way, you must love the podcast. In which case, you should definitely follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or just tell a friend to listen or leave a review and only a good one no baddies no baddies good vibes only but i love you love you night night okay before we go um jackie has some music from the time that she was in the twee scene in nashville so enjoy i am going to share some music right here to kind of give you an experience of the true indie because there's a lot of popular like kate nash was like in like the myspace era of all that and there was a lot of indie music that was popular. My indie music was popular within the Murfreesboro, Nashville area. And some of these people have made it into more of the mainstream, quote unquote, indie. So the per- first person is Tristan. Murder by Tristan. Yeah, very tweet. I mean, tweet guys. That, that's some tweet dudes. There was some tweet velvet suits with like rims, like circle rims glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're wearing suits. The girl was wearing red lips, like looking all cutesy. Yeah, very like vintage. Yeah. 
Okay, Natalie Prass is our next one. Talking Heads label. A couple of these people did get signed to his label. They uh, both so far seem very like I can see these being near Nashville. It's like I I'm easing you into this, by the way. So these are very they're twangy ish, right? Which like a lot of indie music from that era was like yeah. Rilo Kylie, right? Like yeah, feels exactly. very like of this era. Indie also had a lot of slide guitar at that time mm-hmm, too, mm-hmm. and which was very like bluesy cowboy mm-hmm. aesthetic um but so far we're like two for two on the cat eye let's do terra pigeon and this is a very different vibe okay. so terra pigeon getting more indie sleaze in that yeah and it also yeah it reminds me of like do you know the band chairlift no it it's like bubbly i mean they don't they don't his lyrics are very disney is what Uh i would consider very virgin yeah yeah but they're like this lyrics are like there's nothing like you that i won't love you know just like very sweet and very diy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh very like art scene yeah it's very bright colors a lot yeah. of dancing. It's dancing. But kind of like lo-fi, um, like in terms of, I don't think, I don't, can you say lo-fi in terms of like videography too? Yeah. Yes, um, you can. Definitely. That's part of the aesthetic too with indie right, series right. is like camera. Like yeah. It seems like basically it's like all the pictures we take of ourselves partying. That was just like a video of people partying. Yeah, exactly. Next is Dark Sister, which is my, I, I don't like this band, but it was part of the indie culture scene and Tumblr girl aesthetic and we have to acknowledge them. Yeah. 
Okay, so we've got some rapping. It's like some spoken word. It's spoken word, but like the Tumblr, like gr- grimy indie girl, like goth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely more indie sleaze. It's like yeah, opens with some fuzzy, like the screen's all fuzzy, you know, very lo-fi, and also of people just like in a room watching her perform. Yeah, like, in an art gallery room, uh-huh. and they all have like like. Like a euphoria makeup on, basically. And then, like, tank tops and jeans. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to show you Hansel now, which is really local. They barely put you... It's really hard to find them. <laughs> but they were... We, everybody loved them. So okay. we're going to play them. Yeah, I feel like I've heard things that sound like all of this. Yeah, right? That's more like artsy. Jazz, almost. Jazzy, and like the really high voice. Yeah, it's definitely like, oh. I feel like this gave way to Ellie Golding, like that style of singing. Probably, yes, like, that is that is her voice. Yeah, it's like, And I don't know how to explain that. We're not music critics, so. But right. the next one, of course, is... You can't, you cannot mention Andy Sleeve without some guy fucking around with a Game Boy. So next guy is Fake Brad. It is in these sleeves. I'm going to cut it off there. Hopefully that wasn't too jumbly wombly, but just wanted to give you a taste of Jackie's music scene. Okay, guys, see you next time.